This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Actually, not Shaletta Brundage. She'll be back um, next Saturday at News Talk 830 WCCO. At a time when so many of us probably read about the Smart Travel Enrollment Program, just to keep us abreast of, of the, what is going on for safe travel uh, in the country, in the world in particular. But um, we're, we're looking at planning for holiday travel. And I'm joined by tech and travel writer, the bald nomad, also known as Jeffrey Morrison. He is a uh, traveler, probably spends, what, uh, what do you think, half the year, uh, Jeffrey, traveling about this country and other places? Is that a, a safe assessment? And then you obviously take time to write about it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Most most years, it's uh, few, you know up to about half the year I try to be somewhere else, yes. Did did you read about or hear about the um, uh, the the plans or the announcements from the State Department about we need to be more vigilant or ever vigilant uh, in our travel uh, with the events that are going on in the world? Did you happen to see that, or is that something that you just kind of gloss over? Uh, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I mean, a, a bit o- only because uh, traveling anywhere, even within the United States. There's a certain amount of awareness that you should have of your surroundings and people. But I don't think most people really need to be super concerned about it. I mean, if you're traveling to fairly touristy places, um, it's a big world. And the likeliness of something happening where you're going is, you know, if you're going to London or something or, you know, the the average touristy type places – it's unlikely something's going to happen. The statistics of something bad happening like that is fairly low. Before the break, before you you came on the air with me, I was um, talking about the idea of people doing some planning for holiday travel, uh, and hopefully you have it planned out by now. Give me your thoughts on this. When should people have planned? uh, How far in advance should we be planning for our holiday travel, Jeffrey? Well, I mean, it certainly is going to depend. If you if you have a large family, uh, there's a significantly more planning that obviously you know that person's going to need. Uh, and like you said, I hope they kind of booked that stuff already. Um, for a smaller family, or for one or two, you know, for a couple, or, or even a single traveler, it's a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier finding a space on the plane that they want, or kind of you know fitting in or, or wherever they can fly or take a train or drive or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, I I always try to, my two main pieces of advice for most people is like pack as light as possible, you know, don't, 
plan on checking luggage, try to do everything with just a carry-on, um, which is also cheaper. Um, and, you know, take your time with whatever it is. So, like, if you're going to go, if you need to go to the airport, yeah, go at least two hours ahead of time. Like, it's better, to me anyway, it's better to sit at the airport than try to be rushed trying to get through security and potentially missing it, your plane. Well, well, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Morrison, my guest, he is also known as the bald nomad, um, senior editor at Soundstage Solo. I, as a seasoned traveler, um, 60 different countries uh, across six continents. I imagine your passport looks far different than mine. But as a seasoned <laughs> traveler, do, do you... Um, do you follow the, that same advice? Do you are, do you play it safe and get to the airport two hours ahead of a, a departure? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would. I would much rather just chill at an airport for you know half an hour, forty five minutes. You know, to be you know early, and then there's boarding and so forth. Uh, I mean, there's times where I've done two hours ahead of time and still nearly miss my flight because there's a delay at security or there's an issue with something. Um, to me, traveling, you know, I try to minimize the stress involved with travel as much as possible. And I don't quite understand the mindset of people who try to get there as soon as their flight starts boarding. Uh, there's, there's just too many variables there that are out of your control that could cause an issue. So, yeah, at least, you know, two hours is a pretty safe bet. Did you read about or hear about United Airlines making the announcement that for those in the middle of the plane, in the back of the plane, if you have a window seat, they're going to allow you to board earlier or first in this particular case? Did you happen across that bit of information? I did, and it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where United's getting a lot of credit for doing something that was obvious to anyone who's flown in the last 30 years. Um, that's the way it should be. Because, you know, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a logical way to board an aircraft, and no airline has even attempted it because they want to sell you that, that early boarding ticket or so forth. United, and I fly United a lot, so I, I've noticed this, most people now have some way to get into that first boarding group after business class. So that line is super long, so there's no real advantage there. And so then it's just, okay, well, how do we board this aircraft quicker? And it's like, yeah, you want the people who are on the window seats to get in there and sit down so that it leaves room for everyone else to, you know, who are in the middle seats or the aisle, eventually the aisle seats. Uh, yeah, it's way, that's the way they all should go and whether other airlines will follow suit. I don't know, but I hope so. Have you traveled? I'm guessing you probably traveled besides, you know, 60 countries across six continents. Jeffrey, you probably have traveled, uh, you know, domestically a good deal. Have you traveled through mm -hmm. the Twin Cities International Airport? Um, Twin Cities? No. Well, maybe. <laughs> Um, I believe so, but it was it was about 20 years ago. Um, oh. I was last time I was actually up in the Twin Cities uh, two years ago. I did a 10,000 mile road trip from LA to New Hampshire, uh, and I hit about 30 states along the way. And one of them was um, Minneapolis, and uh, it was lovely up there. I was there in the summer. It was gorgeous. Well, that's the time to be here if you're if you're coming. I think we detailed that with our first guest, as a matter of fact, uh, this afternoon here on WCCO. Do you have a favorite destination? Can you share that with us? Uh, it kind of depends. Um, I love Japan. It's, uh, it's a beautiful country with amazing food. Uh, if you're more into nature, New Zealand is amazing. I certainly have had a lot of fun in Australia. 
Um, there's lots of parts of Europe that I adore. Um, I want to do more. In, I've only done a little bit in Africa and South America, so those are certainly high on my list to go back to and, and explore more. But it's kind of, I, it depends on once I, I tend to travel a lot in the spring and the summer, and once it gets to be close to there, I start like, well, what am I in, interested in this year? And maybe a plan will come from that. Well, now, as we look for holiday travel, because we all see, if you watch the news on television, we hear about the surge in holiday travel, people making their plans. Mm -hmm. That's where we began our conversation this afternoon, chatting with Jeffrey Morrison, the bald nomad. Uh, but, but when we were when we were first talking about this, we've heard, uh, I have heard, that there are some some cautions, some cautionary tales, not about safety, but just about uh, availability of travel, uh, especially that more people than ever, I don't know where they're all coming from and why they're all going this year at the holidays, but that we're going to get more of a crush than ever. Do you see this over the years, that it just continues to become more and more, or does it seem like it because airlines have been cutting back to the bare minimum to make sure no seat is left unsat in? Uh, yes, to both, to both parts of that. Um, I think there are more people who are traveling. Uh, I think the pandemic, certainly people got kind of stir crazy and wanted either was able to save some money to travel and now have traveled or perhaps just there's just more people traveling in general. And then on the other side of that, you're absolutely right that these airlines, especially in the U.S., uh, I mean, these are, you know, for, for profit companies that are trying to get as much profit as possible. And they're going to do that by cramming as many people uh, onto as you know an, an individual aircraft as possible. So yeah, it's it's very unlikely that an, on a domestic route you're ever going to have a lot of empty seats or any empty seats probably. So yeah, it's best to just kind of brace yourself that you're going to get squeezed in like sardines and you know <laughs> try to make the best of it. Do you see? Uh, have you been on a flight where you have uh, experienced? Um, the, the, one of those rude travelers that we see, the people who become combative with the airline attendants and things like that. Have you, have you witnessed any of this firsthand? Uh, you know, it's funny. A number of years ago, there was a situation on an airplane where uh, a retiree who was probably 6'3", 6'4", 200-and-something pounds, was speaking to a flight attendant within earshot of me as we were you know, getting off the plane. And he was saying, oh, if you need me to testify or say anything, let me know. And the flight attendant was like, no, you were, you were big health. And I was like, what is going on? And apparently I was asleep, but apparently at some point another passenger had gotten belligerent and was fighting with the flight attendants. And this huge 70 year old year old man just got up and decked him and just laid him out. <laughs> and that was the end of the problem. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so yeah, he looked like he looked like uh, uh, Brian Dennehy, if you know the actor. Like he said, the sure, the yes, looked like that. It's, yeah, so I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know what was going on that this Brian Dennehy guy <laughs> laid out this other dude. But but yeah, otherwise, I think I think because of social media and because of uh, you know the modern world, we see these events uh, far more frequently than they actually happen. I mean, you know, millions of people fly. There's there's tons of flights every day. Nothing happens. So we right. see when something does happen, because it's such a rare event, it's like, oh, wow, look at this. That's not happening all the time. I have noticed, maybe it's just me noticing things, um, that there does seem to be less, 
friendliness a little bit, um, for lack of a better way to say it, um, since the pandemic. Uh, I think people were more aware of, you know, themselves and, and um, how they acted more before the pandemic. That could just be me, you know, hearing these stories and then say, oh, yeah, I saw that too. I, who knows? But, hey, uh, but be, yeah, it's before- unlikely. Before I let you go, where do we find you? Where's the best place for WCCO radio listeners to find you? I know you, you have a YouTube channel. What's the best way to for people to track and keep track of uh, Jeffrey Morrison and his travels? Uh, yeah, my YouTube channel would be great. Uh, it's G-E-O-F-F Morrison, um, you know, at Jeff Morrison. And then actually uh, I'd love it uh, if people bought my buy book. The uh, book coming out in January called Budget Travel for Dummies. It's part of the Dummies series. And that's available kind of wherever you want to order or pre-order a book. Budget travel for dummies. Sure, the whole for dummies uh, uh, system. So, hey, thank you so much for being on with me this afternoon here on WCCO. I do so appreciate it. Um, And safe travels going forward. Take care. Thank you very much. It's 220 News Talk 830 WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 224 News Talk 830 WCCO. John Hines in for Shaletta. I want to get right into this because uh, uh, being mindful of the time here, but there is a great production, and they've done so many great productions over the years, at the uh, History Theater in in St. Paul. Um, And right now, this production is at the History Theater, uh, The Boy Wonder. And The Boy Wonder, if you're wondering is probably, for many of us, uh, referred to as the Boy Governor. Um, And Laura Leffler is director of the Boy Wonder at the History Theater. The Boy Governor was none other than uh, the late Harold Stassen. And Laura joins us to talk about that production and a special event coming up, leading up to all of that. It's coming up, as a matter of fact, in just the next week here. Hey, good afternoon, Laura. Thanks for being on here on WCCO. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I am a fan of the things that uh, History Theater does, 
in St. Paul. It just have been for years, so I uh, have been impressed with what you do. Tell me a little bit about this production because, well, first of all, let's talk, if, if we can, about what's happening on October 26th, uh, which is the anniversary of the U.N., and the late Harold Stassen, the Minnesota governor, the young one at the time, youngest governor ever, um, I believe, was yeah. instrumental in in helping to found the United Nations. That's right. He was. Um, he was actually serving in the Navy during World War II, um, but the president called him back and said, "Please." Uh, you know, leave your post out there on the Pacific Front and come help us uh, uh, found this organization. So he was one of, of course, several delegates sent from the United States. Um, He served on the trusteeship committee and with the other folks who were on that committee, he worked together to create what became the initial charter for the United Nations and is still very much how the United Nations is run today. Well, you know, and, and let's point out, too, that um, this on the 26th of October, there is, uh, before the production is is run through, the, uh, the Boy Wonder, um, there will be a special presentation about that connection. And uh, as a matter of fact, Don Shelby, I believe, is, is hosting it uh, um, and discussing the connection that Governor Stassen had and, and that his own connection and so much more. He's a, he, was, he was a pretty interesting character, wasn't he? He really was. And, you know, he was coming up as a younger adult during the Great Depression. And so it was a time when, uh, you know, people were hurting, you know, financially. People were going hungry. People didn't have jobs. And he really came through with a message of togetherness. Um, It was really important to him to reach across the aisle. You know, he was a devout Republican, but he really wanted to change the party to be an all-party and to really represent all Minnesotans. And I think with how um, divided our country, our state is right now, um, sort of between the political parties. It's a, it's a really good message of helping each other out in tough times. Where is a politician like that today? For people who don't know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Boy Wonder, or that's the, the, the production at the History Theater, um, yep. was also a perennial presidential candidate. I mean, I can't, I, I was trying to go back in my in my mind and see how many times as a matter of fact coming close almost uh defeating Dewey if I'm not mistaken uh in the primary to become the Republican candidate that ultimately Thomas Dewey became that's right you know ironically it was Stassen's idea to initially have the debates between politicians on the radio so that people could listen and really hear what was going on, not just the people who were able to be there in person. And it was at that first radio debate that he just had a bad night. He was just off his game that day, and he sounded bad on the radio, and people really think that that's why he lost the nomination to Dewey. Um, yeah. Wasn't that, was, was that the first debate ever of its sort? Um, you, you know, Harold also sort of invented the idea of debating someone in your own party, not ah. just waiting to become the nominee and then the different okay. nominees from the different parties, but to, to debate within your own party. Well, it's yeah, it's, it, and he ended up running for president almost uh, over ten times over the course of his life. Um, 
So it's really fascinating that, you know, a lot of people later in his life thought of him as this kind of person who kept losing, person who kept sticking his neck out in this way. Um, But if you look over the course of his whole life, he really changed the way that politics work even today. Well, you know, in thinking about this, uh, I have to say, reading some about uh, the former governor, Harold Stassen, uh, the Boy Wonder, depicted at the History Theater. Reading some of this, I w- was surprised to know that um, he left Minnesota for a time and almost was it was it Pennsylvania, I believe. He mm-hmm. um, brought his politics to Pennsylvania and ran for governor there. Yeah, that's that's correct. He did. He uh, he did not win, um, but he no. was president of the university out there um, for many years, um, and that was sort of after his time in Washington. He was he worked in Truman's administration. Oh, uh, Eisenhower. Excuse me, Eisenhower's administration. Yes. Yeah. And again, um, uh, the idea behind this special presentation on the twenty sixth. I don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, and people could find more if they go to the uh, uh, History Theater uh, and get more information. But it's, it ultimately is a fundraiser that becomes part of a, an opportunity for students from across the state. Do they do this once a year, twice a year, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. to debate uh, important real-world issues that the U.N. faces? So it's got a real practical application for them, Laura. Absolutely. And, you know, with um, all the various situations and conflict that's going on across the globe right now, what better time to support this organization that is helping to, you know, get humanitarian aid to people all over the world? The the neat thing is, too, and I I just find this amazing, because if I'm not mistaken, The Boy Wonder, the production at History Theater, it's a musical, right? It is, yeah. It's written by a uh, local composer and writer, Keith Hovis. It's amazing. The, the the productions that have been done over the years, I've seen so many. I've been connected to so many of them. Um, just great productions that just tell a great story, and they all have a very strong connection to where we live. So, Laura, I hope that you have a good turnout on the 26th. And How long does Boy Wonder run, or is it just... Is, is it just coming back for this run? I think it's going, is it through the end of the month, right? It is. We close on October 29th, so you've still got a little bit of time to come see it. Well, it's a, I'm sure it's a great production. I, don't, I have not had a chance to see it, but um, you guys always do first-class work there. So thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, Harold Stassen as we are closing in on the close of The Boy Wonder. You have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 232 News Talk 830 WCCO. We'll come back and we'll uh, go out to the National Toy Hall of Fame after the uh, weather update here. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device, credit, service, ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... 
you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medellin, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Good afternoon. John Hines in for Shaletta. And uh, I mentioned this earlier about the Forgotten Five talking about the National Toy Hall of Fame. Um, I've been a fan of the Toy Hall of Fame over the years. I've spoken with a, a number of those people who are connected to the Toy Hall of Fame because, after all, who doesn't like playing with stuff? So uh, chatting this, at this hour with Shane Reinwald, who's the Senior Director of Public Relations for the Strong National Museum of Play to talk about the Forgotten Five. Hey, thanks for making yourself available on this Saturday, Shane. I do appreciate it. Uh, how are you this fine day? Yeah, doing well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk toys. Well, yeah, why wouldn't you want to, right? Now, I call it the Strong National Museum of Play. How does this differ, or is it just considered the Toy Hall of Fame? Yeah, so the National Toy Hall of Fame, it's a program at the um, Strong National Museum of Play. So the museum is huge, 375,000 square feet, and we have the world's largest collection of play-related objects, so toys, dolls, board games. Um, so we have a, a few programs within the museum, and the Toy Hall for us really is an opportunity to have these bigger, broader conversations about these toys, what they mean to all of us, to share those memories, and to get people really talking about the toys and the sort of impact and influence that they've had because, you know, toys aren't just play. They, they really do reflect our culture and our times. Oh, absolutely, and the way the times have changed. Where is the Toy Hall of Fame or the Strong Museum located? Yeah, so we're up in Rochester, New York. So, uh, Perfect. You know, quick, uh, quick hop from some of the major cities in the Northeast. Maybe a little bit more of a hike from Minneapolis, but definitely worth the trip if anyone's heading out that way. We'll get there, yes, because I, as I understand <laughs> it, you, you can tell me if I'm if I'm mistaken here, but some of these toys are are there today in in a hands-on situation to be able to to try out to see what the attraction has been over the years. Yeah, and that's the great thing about the museum is that we are a history museum at our core, so you can see all of these objects. You can see the very first prototype of Monopoly and some of these other big popular toy items, but we also have fully interactive exhibit. So it's one thing to, to look at an old board game or an old toy, but it's something else entirely to, as a family, be able to sort of talk about the history of it and then play a gigantic version of it. All right. Well, now we need to talk about the Forgotten Five. Uh, the the way I understand it... Their time? <laughs> yeah. You can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but these are toys that have been considered in the past but just didn't make the cut into the Toy Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, so traditionally we induct three toys in any given year, and there's a set process and then an advisory committee that works through all of that. Um, but this year it's the 25th anniversary of the Toy Hall of Fame, so there was a group sitting around that said, we need to acknowledge this. We need to do something fun to mark the 25th anniversary. And really the first idea that came up was, let's let the public for the first time ever have the final say. It's popular vote, and they get to put a toy in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, the next question is, 
what's the pool that they're picking from. So we went back, we looked, who's been a finalist many times, who's sort of been on that precipice. They've been on the cusp of making the hall, but they get tossed back into the toy bin. You know, you can think of any other Hall of Fame, and there's <laughs> those folks that everybody would cry out and say, I can't believe that they're snubbed every year. So these were all four-time or more finalists. I think a few of them were five-time finalists. So they are the, the ongoing snubs for the Hall of Fame, and one will no longer be snubbed. Well, do you want to detail them for us? Can you, uh, in your own fashion? Uh, I, sure. I tried to outline them, but I would rather get it from you. My guest, Shane Reinwald, the Senior Director of Public Relations for the Strong Museum and the Toy Hall of Fame. Give us the rundown. Yeah, so what I love about these Forgotten Five is that they're all totally different playthings. They're the entire scope of play. So there's physical play, imaginative play, doll and action figure play. Um, so we'll start with the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, which is so ubiquitous. I think probably most households have one of those laying around somewhere, or even if it's up in the attic or in the garage. But there's a time in a kid's life when they're just starting to walk that that Corn Popper has a magical moment um, with kids. And I think most parents probably think back fondly on the kid pushing it around, though I'm sure we were all a little bit annoyed at the time by the by that crazy popping sound that it it um, induces, but it's something that's just popular. It's been around since the 50s, still making them today. Uh, next up, we have My Little Pony, which was huge in the 1980s. That, I think, was its peak, its heyday. It was outselling Barbie at that time. and really was uh, unique in the sort of doll world. But it's had a resurgence recently, and it's something that's really had longevity. Um, Pez is an interesting one. So if we think of those little Pez candy dispensers, they sort of cross that line of a toy. They have these figures. You can play with them. But they're also a collectible. And that's what a lot of people um, in this day and age, they're, they're big fans. They're big collectors. And collecting in itself is a playful hobby. Um, and then Pogo Stick, which really hits that outdoor play. It was completely unique when it came out. And it was challenging. And I think that's what made it playful. I remember... Growing up, kids in the neighborhood had them, and I was never the best at it, um, but we always had contests, and we would time each other and see who could do it the longest. And some of the challenge and trying to beat your previous record, that's what really made it playful. And then last but not least is Transformers, which came out in the 1980s, and that was during the era where toys were often combining with cartoons. So if you think of He-Man and Masters of the Universe, that had a big cartoon that was huge in the 80s. Um, G.I. Joe, which had come out much earlier, but that had a, a cartoon in the 80s. And Transformers really fall right in line with that. Completely unique toy, allowed kids to change and transform, hence the name, these action figures. Um, but a big pop culture icon, too, because of the, the show in the 80s. And then I think it's beaten out all of those other toys we mentioned as far as continuing kind of pop culture. Yeah. Because of the movies. It's Seems like every year there's a new movie. Like they yeah, lived on. It it lasts. It it has yeah. uh, some durability to it. Now, if people want to vote, because um, when does the voting close? In the next couple of days, right? Yeah, so October 24th. So there's still a few days left to vote. Um, so the museum's website, museumplay.org, you can find a National Toy Hall of Fame tab there, and it'll take you right to the voting. And folks can vote once a day for their favorite. 
once a day. And do you? I don't suppose you want to give any indication as to where the lead is coming from. I can share with you that I posted this on Facebook, on my Facebook page, and I, I will tell you this, the overwhelming favorite, and maybe it's because of the age we either had them ourselves or our children certainly had them, that was the popcorn popper from Fisher Price. Oh, loved it. Yeah, love to hear that. Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to influence the vote based on, and I actually haven't looked at it today, but when I looked at it yesterday and the day before, there were a few toys that were flip-flopping back and forth. So it wasn't any, nobody was running away with it at that moment, which isn't to say that there couldn't be a, a campaign or a group that gets behind it and that it starts to, but we, as of yesterday when I looked, we're really in that sort of every vote counts territory. Okay, well, that's good to know. You know, somebody told me, and tell me if I have this corrected, there are all kinds of toys that have already made the cut um, over the years, the 25 years now that we're coming up on, uh, including, is this right, is a stick in the Toy Hall of Fame? The stick is in. The stick went in in 2008, which I only remember because that's when I started with the museum and at the Toy Hall of Fame. But, yeah, we think super broadly about what a toy is. For us, it's not necessarily something that you buy on Amazon or has to be branded or has to be sort of made as a plaything. Um, everyday objects become playthings. If you think of um, you know, how many kids run out in the backyard and grab a stick and it becomes a wand, it becomes a sword, they throw it in a creek bed and, it, and they race it against other ones and it becomes a boat. And it's a vehicle for play. So in that sense, it was sort of a, a no-brainer. I brought that up at dinner last night when I was out with friends, and the, the, they said the same thing about it. it could be a sword, it could be this, whatever. On a rainy yeah, day, a you imagination. Could, rainy day, you could drop it alongside the curb and watch it float down the street to the sewer, um, or, or whatever may be happening. So. <laughs> they got it. I love to hear that. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, and again, Rochester, New York, for the uh, Strong Museum, the National Toy Hall of Fame is within it. How many toys? On, well, I, I could probably do the math. What, do you got some 75 toys so far in the hall? Yeah, I think, I think we might just be over 80 now. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, do, you have a, do you have a personal favorite that's already in? Just because I played with them so often, um, I have a, many fond memories of, G.I. Joe's and playing with those in the sand pit and burying them in the backyard. So that's one that definitely stands out for me. If, if I throw a toy out, can you tell me whether it's in or not? Uh, if, if I can recall all, all, all right. 80 plus off the top of my head, um, do you remember, I'm pretty good at it. But <laughs> do, you, do you remember color forms? I do. Was, and those I'm, I'm pretty sure aren't in, but I I know that they've been nominated and potentially a finalist in the past. I know they've come up in conversation quite a bit. All right. I was just curious because I remember uh, having them and you would, you know, put the raincoat on the kid and um, yep. <laughs> hand them the umbrella, whatever it was in that particular case. So, uh, Shane, thank you so much, especially on a Saturday afternoon being available. And I hope you get a good turnout. And uh, if people go to the, uh, just look online, you can find a chance and you can vote once a day now through the 24th. And the results will be published when? So we're looking to announce um, November 10th. So we'll announce the three inductees chosen the traditional way and then the, the special fourth pop, popular vote inductee. Okay, the good stuff. Have spoken. 
Shane, thank you so much for joining me here on WCCO today. I do appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. It is 249 News Talk 830 WCCO. This time out, ensure your toy. Out of the toys he is uh, that we were discussing here, where would your favorite be? You can call 651-461-9226 or text. Uh, that's the same number, uh, 651-461-9226, the City's One Plumbing Talk and Text Line. And we will have a chance to visit just briefly uh, over your toy that, that would get the vote for the Toy Hall of Fame. We'll be right back. Have just a few minutes remaining. I want to make sure I say this first because uh, most helpful, uh, not just today, but during the week leading up to today, Jonathan Lowe at the controls um, and it just kind of like, Jonathan, it was almost like old home week having uh, Tommy Mischke back on the radio. Uh, you and he used to spend uh, a lot of hours together in late nights on WCCO radio. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, okay, I'm working with you right now. I'm working with Steve Thompson coming up next. I'll work with Geraldine Steele tomorrow night. All I need to do is have... Jordana Green and Esme Murphy uh, come into the studio, and I'll probably be back at home. Okay. Yeah, that'll, that'll be everybody there at that particular point. Hey, I'm thinking about toys and the Toy Hall of Fame, I, I, I wanted to make sure, I, again, I want to say thank you so much for your help this week. But um, uh, toys, Toy Hall of Fame, was there a toy that you had always wished you could have that you didn't get to have? Oh, yeah. Yes and no. Uh, there were. Uh, I, I was very fortunate growing up that, you know, my family was was working hard and making sure that my brother and I had the means to get what we wanted if we wanted to have stuff as toys and and whatnot. So I was very fortunate in that respect. There was stuff that I had that was kind of out there, and and stuff that other kids had that I might have wanted, but for me. I see that one of the and, – and, and let's take note, and I think Mr. Reinwald said it, this inductee with this Forgotten Five is going to be one of four inductees. The Hall of Fame is going to vote on the other three, and there are right. a bunch of other things that are up for induction this year, and one of them is baseball cards. And ah. that was one thing that I had, baseball cards, basketball cards, some football, but mainly baseball and basketball, and that was – when I was growing up, and I know when you were growing up and some of the other people here were growing up, that was a big thing, was having and trading baseball cards. That kind of petered out as we got into the 2000s. But I stopped by Walgreens over here the other day up at uh, the Gavide Commons, and as I was checking something out, I looked on the side of the cash register, and what did I see there? Packages of baseball cards, packages, packages of football of cards. cards. You know, they're, they're still around. And for that to be something that's still sought after, it's great. Oh, yeah. And there are people who still collect them. I just saw a story in the news of somebody broke into some bookstore somewhere and managed to steal unopened cases of them. So apparently there is still uh, uh, some sort of value to them, that uh, enough that somebody would 
take the chance to commit. Oh, and with the value of the potential value of these, it, it made it like a grand theft. I mean, it was a major felony because of what was involved in it all. So, well, very good stuff. I'm glad that uh, that you had those things that you needed and wanted. We'll see well, how baseball cards or trading cards in general fare this year with the National Toy Hall of Fame. Again, Jonathan, thank you for being on with me. Thank Laura Leffler from the uh, History Theater. Special thanks to Dr. Abigail Miller, uh, uh, Joel Thingval, Shane Reinwald, um, the bald nomad, and uh, Tommy Mischke, who um, has got a great book. Uh, I have enjoyed the book immensely. I think you will, too. If you like to just take a couple of moments and, and have a relaxing read, it's called Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North. He's going to have a book signing a week from Monday at the Dubliner on University and Creighton. No, University Vandalia. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, in St. Paul, he will be there signing books and uh, talking about it. I'm so glad that he took some time out to read some from Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North here. So uh, that's 6 to 10, though, at the Dubliner a week from Monday. If you want to run into Tommy Mischke. That's all for me. Shaletta Brundage back next week. You have a great week. And thank you so much for, uh, for being a part of it with us here this afternoon on WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.